I'm Steve Lascalzo, and this is The Way. Welcome to The Mandalorian Season 3. This podcast is my first impression of the latest episode of The Mandalorian, Chapter 17, The Apostate. It's a short episode, at least that's my opinion. Disney Plus tells you it's 38 minutes, and okay, if you include the time from clicking play, which includes a previously on section, you get just shy of 32 and a half minutes until the credits start. If you skip the previously on section, you'll have to actually watch the Star Wars and Lucasfilm slates, or you're going to miss the beginning of the audio where the armorer is making something, which leads into the first shot. That would make for... 31 minutes and 30 seconds of action. That's a lot of credits. (laughs) 38 minutes to 31 minutes and 30 seconds. It's all worth watching, especially when they include that great artwork during the credits. But it's not 38 minutes long, but it's, it's a great show. And, you know, that's why I'm podcasting. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Normally, I would skip the previously on segments, but I feel like sometimes it's worth watching if you know what you're looking at and you think about why they're showing it. It starts with some footage of IG-11 from Season 1 and the finale, you know, where he blows himself up to save the group coming out of the lava cavern. Then we hear and see Grief Karga, and he talks about how rescuing Navarro from the scum and villainy has made the place livable again, and one of the shots is from the school we saw in Season 2. Remember, that's the one where Grogu sat and stole the boys' cookies while a protocol droid was talking about hyperspace lanes for trade. It was in place of the converted cantina where Grief would give Din Djarin his bounties in Season 1, and there was that big battle at the end of Season 1. Next, we heard and saw Bo-Katan and were reminded of the meeting and the discussion of the Children of the Watch and the Way of the Mandalore from the Eris episode in Season 2. After that, we see Grogu touching Din Djarin's face on the bridge of Moff Gideon's ship in the Season 2 finale, and we hear the Armorer pronounce his banishment from their order. The dialogue and scenes might have been surprising to a person that watched Season 2 but did not watch The Book of Boba Fett. His status as an apostate, his request for atonement, her reveal that it can only be done by visiting the waters in the minds of the Mandalore, it's all from the fifth episode of that Boba Fett series, and not from season two of The Mandalorian. According to Creed, one may only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the minds of Mandalore. But the minds have all been destroyed. This is the way. When the episode started, I wonder how many of us thought that the armorer was making something for Grogu. And then I was wondering, well, maybe I'm seeing a flashback here to Din Djarin's ceremony where he accepts the mantle of the Children of the Watch. And I thought that maybe this kid, Ragnar, was going to be Paz Vizsla's kid or something. <laughs> so there was a lot of like, is it this? Is it that? And it was cool to see the ceremony, or at least the beginnings of it, right? I have very much liked seeing that there's some thought by the creators and by Favreau and Filoni that 
they're thinking about the methods and the madness of what everyone outside the Children of the Watch sees as a cult. I did not recognize the signet on the banner of that. There's a tree branch, and it kind of looked like a seven. Oh, and by the way, that kid Ragnar happens to be Jimmy Kimmel's nephew, and he was in WandaVision as a kid in one of Wanda's dream commercials, and he was also in the Book of Boba Fett. I think as the kid who drags Boba Fett around in the first couple episodes before Fett ends up earning his place in the tribe by killing that creature. I wonder how many of us thought when the big old sea turtle came out of the water that might have been a a mythosaur or a crate dragon or something. I don't know what planet they're on, but seeing that it was this kind of giant sea turtle, it ended up being a little disappointing to me. I can't say why exactly, but I was thinking, how is it that huge coming from that body of water? I thought for sure that the Mandalorian that got eaten was it was about to bust out its stomach, but I guess they'd already done that bit, right, with uh, the Marshall, the, the, the episode The Marshall in Season 2. Seeing Din Djarin show up in his new ship, though, to save the day was great. I enjoyed the action sequence with the, all of them fighting it, and the entrance was accompanied by Ludwig Göransson's theme music, and that certainly started off the episode right. We got the slate. It's chapter 17 called The Apostate, and I called it. I mean, I made a template for my notes and before the season started, before we knew any of the episodes, any anything like that, I wrote in it, Chapter 17, The Apostate. It just seemed to fit. And lo and behold, that's exactly the title. I don't get any internet points or anything like that. I, I may have mentioned that I thought that was the title in a past podcast. I don't remember. But I definitely know that I called it. I, I know in my heart I called it, even if no one else believes me. The scene we get after the slate ends up being like a rehash for people that didn't see the Book of Boba Fett. I thought it was well-written, though. It felt like it worked. Whether you knew they already had this conversation or not, it still works. The piece of glass that supposedly comes from the surface of Mandalore was cool, but I was wondering about the provenance of this piece. You know, and I stopped the frame where the armor is looking at it. I can't decipher the Mandoa script on it. It's the same kind of thing that uh, Boba Fett had said was in his chain code. It's the same kind of script. I'm sure there are YouTubers out there that are cracking the code as we speak. Maybe some have already gotten it done. I'm just going to wait until I see a translation on the internet to share it. Because I don't feel like doing that much work right now. And it's, it's 6.30 in the morning when I'm recording this. If there is an inscription on it, though, that came after it was harvested... It does seem like someone was simply brave enough to go, or maybe a droid was tasked with bringing back a souvenir, but how weird would it be to find out that all this talk of poisonous atmosphere and a barren surface was just propaganda by the Empire? If I visit the planet and I can bring you proof that I have bathed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, then by creed, the decree of exile will be lifted and I would be redeemed. Okay, then we get to hyperspace, and if you know, you know. This is one of those times 
watching all the Star Wars content, even the animated stuff, this is when that pays off. Those creatures are 100% Pergil. Let the speculation begin. These were in uh, Star Wars Rebels, and Ezra Bridger kind of had a, a connection, was able to really have a good connection with creatures, and these were creatures that were feeding on a gas giant, uh, and they can travel through hyperspace just by themselves. They don't need ships. These are natural creatures, and I think they're some of the creatures that helped the beings in the universe, in the galaxy, figure out how to use hyperspace travel. So these showing up in live action makes me feel like we're going to see Sabine and Ahsoka in this third season and that it's they're going to be the setup for the quest to find Ezra. Now you would have to watch Rebels to understand what I'm talking about. But I had such a huge smile knowing that there's a bunch of us who were, uh, you know, n- not amazed. But uh, there was probably a lot of people confused. But there were a bunch of us that know what we what we saw and that seeing them was just as exciting as these people who are seeing them for the first time because it's like a secret club where you know what's going on and you know like I know this you're seeing it live for the first time it was amazing rebels by the way does not show up in the suggested category for the mandalorian I think that's a mistake I think they should suggest people go watch that on disney plus I had to go check and see if the theme music that was playing during this hyperspace travel was similar to one in the Rebels, and kind of, but not really. I I, I wasn't really interested in analyzing every single appearance and seeing if the theme music was the same, but I did check the Rebels finale and also the episode The Call, but I couldn't find an absolute match for the music that we hear in Chapter 17. But hyperspace... It's always cool to me. I mean, I love the look of it. I love the sound. You know, seeing Grogu cozy up in the cockpit was cool. And then the ship exiting hyperspace and that sound of them coming out near Navarro right after seeing the Purgle. It it was peak Star Wars to me. I loved it. It felt so good for this show to be back. On the approach of the ship to Navarro, I was taking notice of everything that I was hearing and seeing. So Navarro is an independent trade anchor and outer rim hyperlane port, according to the droid that was uh, welcoming them to the sector. And that's probably important. I think that's why the protocol droid was teaching kids in season two. I feel like that's something that they need to know. They need to know where it is about the hyperlanes. So I feel like this wasn't just a throwaway. This was telling us like, this is a rarity. This is an independent place for trade and it's on the outer rim hyperlane system. It looked like there was an EV droid in the background. I thought there was some small rats on a spit. There was a Mon Calamari alien. Kowaki and monkey lizards were in the trees. When previously we had seen them only in cages and roasting on spits or, you know, at the foot, so to speak, of Jabba the Hutt. There were kids running around, so clearly it's, it feels like a safe place. There was a folk band and some of the people, in, you know, the aliens, I guess, in there were aliens that we had seen before. There was an IG-11 statue. And that 
was a convoy. It absolutely was. The bird thing that flew off of the IG-11 statue. Uh, does this mean that Ahsoka is nearby? Was that specifically Morai, the specific one that has a connection to Ahsoka and the daughter of Mortis? I have the feeling that all is going to be revealed, but go back and look if you haven't seen it. If you've seen Rebels and you've seen the Clone Wars, you know that that specific kind of creature, the Convor, is very closely related to Ahsoka. It's been following Ahsoka since the Mortis arc from the Clone Wars. So every time she shows up or there's this implication that she's going to show up, that creature is around. It, it is 100% a convoy. We got a sneak peek scene in Grief Karga's office, and that was released last week or the week before, and so now we fi- that we finally get to that scene. And there was a nice aside with the pirates trying to start something near the school. I was hoping that maybe they were sent by Hondo Anaka or something, but Gorian Shard? That's a cool name, too. You know, why wouldn't we want new characters, even bad guys? Vane is cool, too. The the, the, the Clatoonian. I, I like the accent, though. It wasn't necessarily the you know the, the alien creature, but I like the actor is Marty Matulis, and I thought it was a it was a fun character. Vane, the lead Clatoonian bad guy. And I like that Grief Karga can still hold his own. He's not afraid. I mean, you need to be not afraid if you're a magistrate or high magistrate as he likes to call himself. But I, I think that's just a little addition that he throws on to make himself sound more important. I liked that Din Djarin was just backup. Karga, you know, can handle his blaster. He would need to, but he's not going to refuse help from his friend, right? And he needs a full-time marshal since Cara Dune was explained to have been recruited away by the New Republic. Still, he's not helpless. And oh yeah, we heard about Dune, and then also we heard about supposedly what's happening with Gideon, Moff Gideon, but I get the impression he's going to be able to talk himself out of trouble before a tribunal. It'd be really cool to see, you know, someone we know try to warn everybody about, hey, how dangerous this guy is, only for him to talk, or we see bribe out of his way out of trouble, maybe someone else bribes him out of trouble, and then he returns as a threat. And we get more of that thread that ties together The Force Awakens and The First Order and the original trilogy, and it ties it all together. Because some people knew, right, this threat wasn't gone, like Leia, and then others were clearly ignoring it. Get out of here, Vane. No. Sure you want to let him go? You'll let it be known that Navarro is respectable now and not to be trifled with. I always wonder about these situations like with Vane. Like, he's the last one left. And what's the right call? You kill them all? Or do you detain Vane there? Then what happens? He doesn't report back, and you might get a spy sent in to find out why haven't my guys returned. And then your enemy plots revenge. Or do you let Vane go like they did? Then the report gets back sooner. At least then you can say you showed some honor? But your enemy, in this case, is a pirate. They can still plot in secret. Maybe this way there's a clear threat that you're making, and the pirate then has to act because he doesn't want to lose respect from his men, and maybe that prevents the advantage of being sneaky, but they're pirates. I'd be interested to hear 
what you think would be the best course of action and why. So send in some feedback. Tell me why you think one of the other courses of action or a different one altogether would be the way to go when you're faced with this situation. Like, what do you do? Just shoot Vayne dead, let him go, capture him, uh, you know, send a threat. Let me know. A lot has changed around here. I wasn't thrilled with the return of IG-11 or the possible return because just as Karga pointed out, they're lucky to have found anything after he blew himself up. I can't believe that this is specifically why Din Djarin returned to Navarro. From rumors before this season that I'm not going to reveal here, I'm very cautious. I'm, I'm afraid at what might be happening with IG-11's armor, body. At least they didn't have him become completely active again. Like they had to do a little work on him and then they were able to shut him down. But I just didn't want to see jokes that might be insulting to viewers of the show that are disabled. I feel like they were they were potentially walking a thin line there. And they didn't, thankfully. So I'm glad that it wasn't a huge threat early on. And that we just, we know, okay, it's dangerous to reactivate him just by himself. But we saw a glimpse of the Anzellan species. They were in the trailer, so it wasn't a complete surprise. But it was so awesome to see them all be so adorable. I love the speech pattern. I also didn't mind the bland humor of Grief Karga thinking that Din Djarin couldn't understand them. And then him trying to basically translate. I felt that it was a reasonable amount of misunderstanding. Can you fix it without the memory circuit? Yes, but I didn't think. Yep, yep, but what if I find you the part? Okay, now, then no problem. We pick. If you can get a new part, he says he can fix it. No! No, Grogu. Not a pet. No, it's crazy! That's great, that's great. Bad baby. Sorry about that. He's young. No, Grogu. The Grogu scene it was just great. Treating him like a pet, but we also, like, was he trying to eat him? I don't, you know, I mean, we've seen that in the past. It was just great. I loved it. It lightened the mood. It was fantastic. I also liked when they were heading out in the ship from Navarro to their next destination that Grogu was getting some piloting lessons. That could be huge. That's a, it's a little setup. Of course, it led into a really cool space battle, which I also liked. And I liked the ships. I liked it being around the asteroids. I liked the odds. First it was one versus three, then one versus six, and that's really no match for the skill of Din Djarin. So I liked the flying, the shooting, the space battle, him, you know, tricking them and getting behind them and, and then hunting them. And I also liked the Pirate King, or whatever he's called. It looked to me like it was one of those hammerhead corvettes that he has. It wasn't exactly the same. But I also noticed the paint scheme. It was like a World War camouflage technique. And the only reason I know that is because I watched a documentary where they talked about it. They had this really weird technique called dazzling, where they painted odd black and white stripes in different directions and stuff. It was to fool submarines, I think. So I noticed that design on Gorin Shard's ship, and it made me think of that. And I also didn't mind him being like this 
seaweed covered alien. It was an odd choice, but I think it goes with the pirate theme, I guess, you know, kind of a Davy Jones look. And the actor, Nanzo Anozi, played pirate Zero Daxos in Game of Thrones. And he was also in the movie Pan, so he's got some pirating experience, so to speak. Surrender your ship and I'll spare your life. Kid, never trust a pirate. From the space battle, they head to the planet Kalevala. I saw a bunch of speculation about this planet on Twitter last week because of some TV spots as the debut date got closer and closer. There was talk about whether or not some of the domes that were being shown were on this planet because it's a lot more green and there's water here. It's not a desert planet. We know that, obviously, well, I mean, he said it was Kalevala, so we know this is not Mandalore, but it's close to Mandalore from what I understand. So it was surprising still that he goes here before he goes to Tatooine, which is where I think he's going to find the part for IG-11, right? He's, he's got to find this part. Well, he knows the Jawas can find it. He talked about that piece of glass that the Jaw he traded Jawas for it, who traded somebody else. So he's going to Tatooine to find this part. So I'm just confused. Why did he go here first? Because he ends up telling Bo-Katan he wants to join her. I would think that you would go and get the IG-11 thing squared away first and then go see Bo-Katan. But she was clearly ticked off that he still has this Darksaber. Credit to her. She doesn't try to set up a duel or anything. She's not stupid. I think she, you know, thinks taking it here is going to do her no good. She has to have a public spectacle of taking it in battle from Din Djarin, or her people just wouldn't trust her ownership of it. And they're off being mercenaries, according to her, anyway. Healing Mandalore is going to take a long, long time. And I don't think she can do it from Kalevala. I think she's going to have to go to Mandalore to do it. But is the planet toxic? The culture is certainly toxic, right? The people who are left from Mandalore are almost all warlike. It's certainly going to take a lot of time, and I think there's room for this to play out over not just Season 3, but Season 4. But at least at the end of the Season 3 premiere episode, we get the quest. And now we already know what it was, and so did he. But now he knows he has to go to Sundari and to the Civic Center and the mines underneath. So it sends him off on his journey, and it kicks off the season-long journey for us in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. I am going to Mandalore so that I may bathe in the living waters and be forgiven for my transgressions. You are a fool. There's nothing magic about the mines of Mandalore. They supplied Beskar ore to our ancestors and the rest is superstition. That planet has been ravaged, plundered, and poisoned. You said that the curse was a lie. Make up your mind. If you want to go to the mines, be my guest. They're beneath the Civic Center in the city of Sundari. Thank you. And I will find out if the planet is really poisoned. Goodbye, 
Those are my initial thoughts on Season 3, Episode 1 of The Mandalorian, The Apostate. I'll put together a more detailed analysis of the show, and I hope to have that reaction and discussion episode out before the weekend, but I'm being realistic here. It's a lot of work, and I would also like to do a Sunday or Monday feedback podcast, but it requires feedback from you. So send me some, please. This is the way podcast at gmail.com. All our links can be found in one place at linktr dot ee forward slash this is the way pod our twitter and instagram links are at this is the way pod and there are links to our twitch facebook anchor.fm apple Podcasts, and now spotify and youtube as well it's a lot of work it really is but i think i do a pretty good job and i think it's worth it that's the way i like to do things and this is the way I'm your host, Steve Lascazzo, and thanks for listening to This Is The Way Podcasts Season 3, Episode 1, First Impressions Podcast. May the Force be with you, always. Always.